in this episode. Welcome, Mr. Mike Nudd, onto the show. Oh, yeah, yes, I'm playing this character called Mr. Harrison, yeah, who's like, yes, he's up to no good, and I can't really tell you much more about it. And uh... But at the same time, he's an aspirational figure. He, he, he is a god amongst us, but in a good way. Well, exactly, and what he chose to do was sit on his bum make, watching plays about how great he is. He's only doing it for the money, I assure you. Yeah, and, and then and then fires a rocket launcher at a helicopter. <laughs> it's just, just so, so ludicrous. I'm not sure if puzzling is the word I would choose. Surprising, perhaps. It's a bit of a throwback in a funny sort of way. You've got charismatic alpha males in the cast. <laughs> I can't kid. I can't finish that sentence. But yeah, you're right. This this is this is really really a thrill ride uh, as we explore you know various moments of peril, uh, almost in effectively real time. About a bunch of children having to fight each other in a death arena. And yeah, I mean it does exactly what it says on the tin. I don't, I don't resent him for it. It's a shame that it happened. Oh well. And that's basically what it is. He goes from a man in the world trying to make a difference through his knowledge to a man in a shed. Well done. Have a rosette. You can't see the gritted teeth because it's beneath the makeup. But um... Not doing any more of that anymore. Big promise. Let's go back to 2013. It was a simpler time. No hard feelings, point break, you've got a mean swing. Gentlemen, my word, it's been a long time since I have to use the plural. Gentlemen, we have a problem. You know that great show we recorded just the other week? A good three-hour romp. It was two shows back-to-back, covered and nailed down, absolutely done and dusted, and we were so happy about it. Yeah, well, it doesn't exist anymore. You know, when they say everything on the internet doesn't disappear, it exists forever, that was a lie. It is, so that's, that's, a, that's a very good point you've made there. Usually things are harder to scrub off the internet than, well, you just can't. You just can't get rid of it. But you've actually found that we found a, a use case where after a week, Craig, the excellent listener bot who is uh, hanging on our every word, after a week, his perfect recollection of what we said disappears completely uh, and we forgot to get backups. That is our fault. Hello, we are the 80s kids. And uh, one of us is very worried about having to trot through the 2013 top 10 again. Another one didn't really want to do it the first time, so that's fine. But I've I've had a dress rehearsal now, so I feel great. I feel great about the situation. Very comfortable and relaxed. There is a third 80s kid in the room. Is that true? You are an 80s kid, aren't you? You definitely are. Uh, 80s as informative in my growing up, yeah. Yes, well, there we go. Well, that's that's the same for all of us. So, yes, we have an actual <laughs> kid. I remember once we had a chap who was born in the 1990s on the show. He oh didn't get along with it at all. In fact, he didn't no. say very much. Still there for posterity, but uh, all he says was that he wasn't born in the 80s. And that's what we've come to expect from people that, uh, that weren't born in the 80s. They don't say much. 
Um, Craig, for example, I don't believe he was born in the 80s and he won't say anything. Welcome, Mr. Mike Nudd, onto the show. <laughs> a guest for a couple of shows in this season, uh, including yep. this, which is, um, yes, due to technical difficulties um, and memory difficulties and age difficulties, we're going to go through the top 10 for us again, but for you at home the first time. 2013. Uh, 2013. What is there to say about 2013? It is, of course, the year of various disappointments. Uh, that is what we dubbed it back at the time. It also the closing of the Great Donut. 2013 is when we started the podcast. So, yes, it uh, is. These films were current news when we started because we used to do news once upon a time. Remember that? Well, I think this is the thing. I always wanted to stay away from news, even today. It's, it'll be current. It only puts pressure yeah. on you to do things quicker. Yeah, no, even today when I'm doing the uh, material for, for Geek Towers, I've got my eye on the repeat. So even our Geeks of the Round Table format is in such a way that people could listen to it as a historic document, as opposed to having to listen to it. It's not about news. The point yeah. of the show is not... neither timely nor news. relevant, which I think should go no, on No, exactly. Stone, we, really. we, we are for... Yeah, well, the other side of that is we are for all time. We are universal. We encompass all. Uh, so before we get straight into the top 10, I just wanted to take a moment to discuss a couple of things that didn't make it into the top 10. Those, because I, I mean, when you think of 2013, I think, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is true, but I definitely think of Pacific Rim and I, I kind of think of Star Trek Into Darkness as well. Uh, I try to think of Star Trek Into Darkness a little bit less uh, than maybe one might, had it been an entirely successful project. These two particularly did not make enough money to get into the top 10 uh, for this year. Probably down to cartoons, as we shall see. But actually due to some other stuff as well. It will be surprising if you haven't got the top 10 in front of you uh, to, to be like, oh, really? That beat Pacific Rim? And, and you'll be like, yes, it did. Ian, as a resident Star Trek archivist, how did you feel about Into Darkness? I'm more like an obituarist these days. You know, the whole point about let's recast all the original characters again was because we could go off and have brand new adventures with all our original characters. So it's a bit frustrating about having set it all up in the alternate timeline. But they decided to basically do a greatest hits album of, of ripping off Khan. For the second time in the film's series, decided to pay homage to Khan. Yeah, that was a bit that was a bit disappointing. Also, bearing in mind it's just been freaking ages. I mean they really held back showing the first 2009 Star Trek, like a couple of years, and then it was just an absolute age, 2013. This couldn't have been less warm when they came into this, really. And also, this comes a point where you just, you've got to stop casting Benedict Cumberbatch in everything. It was, it was very vogue for a while. He was the answer to, who would you cast as this person from this book? that you like and the answer was always Benedict Cumberbatch well the the marketing uh, rounds for that film as well was so arduous where they 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 wheeled Benedict out on all, all these interviews going oh yeah yes I'm playing this character called Mr Harrison yeah who's like yes he's up to no good and I can't really tell you much more about it and uh, and it's like no I'm not playing Khan no I'm not playing Khan no I'm not playing Khan it's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah, I remember that. That was one of the most pointless. Isn't there? I, I'm sure that there was another film that did a similar thing recently. I'm like, did you, you know, Into Darkness was supposed to be the great lesson to say, don't pretend you're not doing something that you are definitely doing. Oh, yeah, that's right. There was also the pointless bit of kerfuffle 
when they originally pitched Avengers Infinity War and Endgame as Avengers Infinity War Part 1 and 2. And then as they were approaching the marketing junket for Infinity War, they they scrubbed Infinity War Part 2 off Avengers and went around telling everyone, oh yeah, the new of the next Avengers movie after Infinity War, which is now going to be just one movie, is the Infinity War. It's a completely separate thing that is going to be a different... It's like, no, it wasn't. It was just part two of the Infinity War. They all fought Thanos at the end twice. One time they lost, next time they won. It's a two-part story. You might give it a fancy title like Endgame, but it essentially is Infinity War Part 1 and Part 2. And it's like, when will they learn not to tell people something? You know, unless they actually mean it. Like, if they'd actually done something weird like that, that would have been fine. It's the fact that they didn't, and the fact that even when they were doing that, the world in which they'd gone round with Star Trek going, oh yeah, it's not a remake of Wrath of Khan. It's not... Perish thought it would be a remake of Wrath of Khan. He's not playing Khan. Benedict Cumberbatch thing, though, you, you're looking at this with the benefit of hindsight. At the, at the time, it was a bit a bit tiresome that he was basically everything to all things. There was even the dragon in The Hobbit. It was getting ridiculous. Well, thankfully, Doctor Strange keeps him occupied enough that he, he can be in very little else. But he always takes those roles, doesn't he? It's this constant parade of key figures in history or really important literary characters when is he ever going to play like some other guy you know like oh he's just some guy you know you know it doesn't doesn't seem to be part of his uh, cv to play people you know like, oh we need someone to play that that chap that was holed up in an embassy fridge oh, get benedict cumberbatch to do it everybody knows who he is i'm waiting for the okay, P- professor stephen hawkins who can we get <laughs> well, actually, we've done that. And it wasn't Benedict Cumberbatch, so. Uh, <laughs> so uh, but I'm sure that he's open for the uh, Boris Johnson biopic that's inevitable eventually. Oh, God, oh, God. Benedict Cumberbatch is politics Johnson. out of this, sir. Mm. Let's go back to 2013. It was a simpler I, time. Yeah, 2013 <laughs> was a simpler time. A simpler time when we had giant robots fighting giant monsters, and people were surprisingly lukewarm to the whole thing. And I remember. My favourite part of that whole thing, and by favourite I mean least favourite, is the fact that of all these people that came out and go, well, it's just silly, isn't it? Like, it's literally pitched to you as a movie about giant mechas fighting enormous monsters in, like, Kowloon Harbour or whatever it is. That's literally, that's like the elevator pitch of the film. And you're coming, not very realistic, is it? The dialogue was a bit cheap. I mean, okay, so the film's title sounds, and we said this at the time, and it's never changed. It sounds like a toilet block. Like, you know, if you want a nice, fresh green bowl, Pacific Rim gets all the germs. You know, but with that exception... It does It does feel like it was based on an 80s cartoon from alternate universe, isn't it, though? Yeah, very much so. I mean, there is an anime of it now on Netflix, which I've not watched, because... It seems a bit pointless. Same thing about the sequel, really. Well, the sequel isn't pointless if the sequel had been given the full treatment. I think the point of it was that you could make a a Pacific... Guillermo del Toro is a guy who can take one of these properties. Like, the reason that Blade 2 even worked is because it was Guillermo del Toro directing Blade 2. 
by itself, the script was probably not that great, and another director might have fumbled it. But Guillermo del Toro can't help but meddling, and it's the meddling that makes the raises the project up. So Pacific Rim, in the hands of, let's just use a name to conjure with, I don't know, Michael Bay, he likes giant robots punching things. It would have been awful. But it's because it's Guillermo del Toro that it kind of has that little it's extra. Not, it's not particularly objectionable. I mean, you know, the message isn't particularly complex. Hey, let's all work together and we can defeat great things when we all come together as one. Hence the reason those robots have two people to pilot them. It's like a metaphor or something. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a complicated film. It, it is giant robot smash monster. And yeah, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with just being a, a good film to stick on and eat pizza to. Uh, well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we've seen this uh, whole story played out again when Godzilla King of Monsters came out and I was convinced not to give any money to go and see it because people were like, <laughs> oh, it's just awful. Oh, the people, they say stupid things. And, and then I watched it eventually. I was like, yeah, but I'm now realising sure. that the point of this movie is for giant monsters to punch one another. What the director and writers have done is gone, who cares what the people are doing? Who cares if what the people are doing makes sense? Who cares about the people? The whole point of the people <laughs> is to shuttle them round the earth to watch giant monsters punch one another. Nobody cares why, or nobody cares what they're saying or whether what they do makes sense or, you know, like, okay, so your villain is going, hey, I'm gonna release this monster to cleanse the environment because I believe humanity is a plague. And everyone's like, I'm not sure this is the best solution to the problem that you're proposing. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of forests on fire now. It's not going to do the ozone anymore. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that you've entirely grasped that, that this was good. And, and you're like, okay, so that is a stupid plan. But the point is, yeah. you've just shown me an enormous monster caked in ice. I want that monster out of the ice and punching other monsters as soon as possible and I don't care how it's achieved and, and this is I think the problem well, in, is... in, a, in a similar vein yeah. I went to see uh, Godzilla versus Kong actually this year it's one of our yeah. early early trips out to the cinema and yeah I mean it does exactly what it says in the tin what's funny about it is uh, it was about 15 minutes in and I was like oh hang on a minute there was a second one wasn't there and because I hadn't seen it and I actually completely forgotten that there was actually another part to it uh, and actually it didn't matter at all well, no, <laughs> because there's the exp the exposition so so minuscule anyway it's just like yeah just get just get on with it just <laughs> giant monsters punching one another <laughs> although although so... I, did, I did i did admire the first one though the um like for the first first half an hour of the film it was like it was like a 70s conspiracy disaster film and they played it really really straight and i quite ad admired that sort of commitment to try and convinced the audience that there was a bit more mature and then it was like no it's just Godzilla blowing things up anyway oh, well and of course there's the amazing Kong Skull Island which is one of the most bonkers big budget cinema films. So that, uh, that probably yeah, deserves yeah. its own sidebar in another time at another place and indeed it will probably get that so those are two things that didn't make the top 10 and now we're going to actually look at the top 10 now I think we could have taken a weird approach to this because rather than just do a, a top 10 countdown I think we've probably got to group it up because uh, quite a lot of what's in there is superhero movies. Quite a lot is cartoons. And then there's some weird stuff around the edge. Uh, and I think we'll start with the weird stuff. The weird things in question are, first of all, gravity, 
which it may surprise the folks at home to learn made more money than both Star Trek and Pacific Rim. Does that say amazing things for the quality of gravity or bad things about the quality of Pacific Rim and, and, and Star Trek? We shall find out soon. We also have uh, The Hunger Games Catching Fire, which, um, you know, is making more money. It, well, it, it, you know, gravity's at number eight. Hunger Games is at number five. And indeed, that is a very strange thing indeed. And then the other thing that's weird to have in a top ten or that you would think would be weird at number six. So under the Hunger Games, which now I come to look at this list a second time, does also surprise me, Fast and Furious 6. These three movies are not movies you might expect to be seeing. It's particularly beating a franchise like Star Trek. I mean, the Hunger Games phenomenon for a start is very weird. I mean, I think people have kind of accepted it now. But essentially, we have four movies in this universe about children shooting each other with fatal things that's like not like an obscure strange japanese indie movie it's it's in the yeah 865 million for the first sequel at the box office uh, let's let's begin with a consideration of these three movies gravity uh, i believe we discussed this at some length last time we went through this it's a roller coaster I, I ride it, it, basically, it is, it's basically a roller coaster, it's a theme park ride. You didn't see it in the cinema, and I was like a bit aghast by this, going, well, surely that's the one venue you have to see of gravity. Yeah. That's like watching a roller coaster ride on your phone. It's, it, you, you're missing the point. The whole thing about a screen is it completely envelops your view, and your sound is all around you. So when you have Sandra Bullock whirring through space at, at high speeds, that's the whole point. It is, it is a piece of spectacle with a very small cast. Uh, and seems to have done quite well, so it seems to have found its audience. Uh, and I don't think it had any, any pretensions to be anything other than a, a peril disaster movie in space, uh, with a nice 3D gimmick, of which we'll be seeing a lot more of this year. Yes, that is true. I didn't see it in cinema, I saw it afterwards, I wasn't really that bothered by the cinema. Plus, at the time, obviously, if I was going to the cinema to see it, I would either have had to go pretty much on my own, or take Sue, and Sue can't watch 3D, because one of her eyes doesn't work, so the effect doesn't work. I thought, well, it's not really worth it, we'll catch it on telly sometime. I was perfectly happy with it just as a science fiction movie. It doesn't need to be in the cinema. I make the comparison to Avatar, and I think the 3D aspect was a big part of that experience as well. Oh, undoubtedly. It, the same is said for Gravity, unless you've seen Gravity in 3D on the big screen. You're not really getting the experience, I mean, you know. The story. Yeah, the difference, vital difference is, I enjoyed Gravity, not in 3D. Yes, I've never seen Sandra, Avatar. Sandra 3D. Bullock emoting is going to sell this for you. No, it's the 3D. Uh, I think that the special effects are great, regardless of whether you're watching them in 3D. It, it's baked in from the ground up, rather than something that was being imposed on later. Yeah, Mike, you did see it in the cinema, as I recall, at I the did? time, because you yeah, told yeah. people to go see it. Mm. How, how did you find that? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm, I'm quite into my science fiction, but you know, particularly hard science fiction. But yeah, you're right. This this is this is really really a thrill ride uh, as we explore you know various moments of peril, uh, almost in effectively real time. I mean, I'm a big fan of Corin uh, anyway, and, and the way he approaches things. I mean, I, I, I still think that his his Harry Potter is the best of the series, giving it a bit of magic, giving it a bit of uh, emotion. 
Uh, and, and this film, there was there was clearly a, a commitment to try and capture the reality of these situations as well. And I gather from some nerdy friends of mine that's like the like the consoles of all the of all the spaceships and things that they actually, and the space stations that go into um, are, are all very accurate to, to what they would actually be like in real life. Not that it matters to most of the audience, but uh, yeah, I admire that. I admire that attention to detail. There were some nitpickers about the science, obviously. Mm, sure. You know, it's just like I'm just so happy that they at least tried to give it scientifically accurate within within dramatic scope most time they don't even bother yep. if we're going to talk about a showcase of uh, attention to detail and scientific accuracy obviously that leads us straight into fast and furious 6 which uh, <laughs> <laughs> i can't kid, yeah. i can't finish that sentence the, the thing that i remember about fast and furious 6 which stopped me from going to see it in the cinema was the fact that for some reason universal i think were a little bit have we pushed it too far with Fast and Furious 6 because every film that I went to see in 2013 had that one five minute preview reel of the bit on the bridge with the tank and you just get Vin Diesel and The Rock gurning at you going we just want to show you this special preview of our film Fast and Furious 6 which your totes gonna go see right and that just made me dig my heels in and not want to go and see it and so I didn't see it cinema I saw it afterwards and it's like this is the one I think before this point, it was an action franchise sort of in 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 looking for a, a sort of full identity because it had had one when it began. It was just that goofy, like cars racing action franchise. Then it went through a, a long wilderness period of, well, we're making more of these movies. We're not exactly sure why. And then this one went, we now know why. It's to do, like, to have these crazy set-up scenes that make no sense whatsoever and, and talk about family a lot. You, like, you go family, 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 cars parachuting out of bombers, family, 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 people jumping from car to car, but it's not the Matrix, and we don't understand why. So, and this is the one that really broke that new formula, which has continued to this day. Uh, is it the most puzzling, successful action franchise in the history of cinema, gentlemen? I don't resent it at all. I don't resent it. I never said anything about resenting it. I said, but is it puzzling? So many people clearly seem to enjoy it. I don't want to rain on anybody. Or that. I, I think last yeah, time we on. talked about last time we talked about this, I kind of said it's it's kind of like an old, you know, like you've got uh, Expendables, which is kind of like uh, let's pretend there was some sort of eighties franchise where all these guys were together. Yeah, this is actually this happening now, but with the you know, 90s, 2000s action heroes all doing this thing together, all when they're actually in their prime. Isn't that a nice thing? Okay, here's my puzzlement, actually, because I, I guess I didn't reach for the word puzzling just out of thin air. We've just discussed about 10 minutes ago a bunch of movies in which the pitch always includes giant monster about the size of a skyscraper. Yeah from which people complain, uh, people do things that don't make sense and it's not realistic, right? This is <laughs> technically a movie about people who drive cars fast. Now, last time I checked, cars that go fast did exist, whereas monsters the size of skyscraper slightly thinner on the ground. And yet people walk out of the, the monster movie going, oh, it wasn't very realistic. I didn't find it a bit far-fetched. But they walk out of Fast and Furious 6 and go, what a fantastic action movie. Can't wait for the next one. What? Where, 
Suspension of disbelief has gone mad. It's a bit of a throwback in a funny sort of way. You've got charismatic alpha males in the cast as well. And, you know, it's all it's all high octane adventure. It is the modern day James Bond in a funny sort of way. It's Bond, born, and now we're on to Fast and Furious. This is where it is, guys. Are you playing the devil's advocate here, Ian? <laughs> I'm happy to. This is a discussion podcast. I'm terribly sorry. I didn't realise it was the Agree With Leo podcast. No, oh, yes, sir. I'm not. You're entirely correct, as always. <laughs> it's just that you're... It's weird, because my opinion on Fast and Furious... I, I wouldn't say it was like in, in the same tradition as Bond and Bourne, but I do love the fact that it just completely left the rails and now exists in this weird Fast and the Fury universe... Universe. This illegal racing driver has become the most sought-after special agent in the world, you mean? Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, I love the fact. I love it for that. And I know that you're not even that bothered. But we seem to have switched <laughs> positions here. Same premise as Triple X in that respect, isn't it? Certainly well, not Triple X. That's what I was going to say. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's a similar formula to Triple X, except Triple X was, I, I thought, pretty dreadful. <laughs> it's just it's so, so ludicrous. Um, not that this isn't ludicrous. I'm not sure if puzzling is the word I would choose. Surprising, perhaps. I mean, I think when, when they were making the yes. first one, I don't think they could have predicted that they would have made like nine more of them and some spin-offs and, and a ridiculous amount of merchandising. Well, I think that possibly the executives involved might be a bit puzzled because what's really interesting is that Fast and Furious is the kind of franchise that a particular type of Hollywood producer would be like, oh, we'll make this and people will be queuing around the block to see it. But the thing about it is, usually when they say something like that, it doesn't happen. But in this case, it did. And I think there's a lot of people who are scratching their side. But what's the difference? We make dumb shit like this all the time. And people are like, meh. And then in this case, it's, it does what we wanted it to do. We don't. I don't think anyone knows why. That's all I'm saying. Well, it's glorious escapism. Well, I think a big part of why is probably The Rock. I mean, because as soon as The Rock appears, the the, the series starts getting better again. It's, uh, um, I guess. Because he appears in five, and five's probably the best one of the series, but the highest one. And he's, yeah, he's in six as well. I, mean, I gather recently it's come out that him and Vin Diesel didn't go on at all and he's not going to go back and do any more. But um... Yeah, the writing was on the wall in the, in the I think it was seven, where uh, in order to not have them act together, he has a fight with Jason Statham in a, in a loft in which he breaks his leg and then spends the rest of the movie in hospital until at the end, with his cast on, he runs out yeah, into the flexes street. the cast off. <laughs> yeah, and, and then and then fires a rocket launcher at a helicopter. And so it was yeah, yeah. over a broken leg for the power of determination. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I did enjoy. I did very much enjoy the fact that the diesel rock beef that was apparent made it a little bit like one of those ninja movies from the 80s where you've got like the Asian cast and the white cast and they never met so they just kind of like <laughs> edit it together with Garfield phones and stuff I mean that it, it was the same sort of thing it's like Vin Diesel on the phone to the rock like still got a broken arm or leg or whatever it is eh? yes that's me in bed don't forget about me I'm sure something important will happen at the end of the movie where I'm gonna do stuff <laughs> You know, like that was that was really cool. Uh, it, they didn't have, of course, such problems because they didn't have either Vin Diesel or The Rock in The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. <laughs> which, uh, what a segue! I get, I know how to segue if that's what I think. I mean, The Hunger Games is bonkers, isn't it? I keep saying this and nobody ever agrees, but 
really we had blockbuster top 10 ranking things about a girl forced to a teenage girl forced to participate in you know murder rituals like and that's like hey it's fun for the teens it's great but conceptually it didn't come out of nowhere i mean it was based on some very successful books and a lot of people read those books and, and knew the story uh, and bought into it for that reason. I think maybe if it had hit the cinemas as a fresh script and those books hadn't existed, I think it, maybe it wouldn't have. Oh been no, they would, it, would, it was. It would have got murdered it, faster than some of the lower cast yeah. members. Indeed, it is. It is part of the tradition of G. Harry Potter made a lot of money while other books are out there that we can adapt. This was part of the Twilight spin-off strand, where everyone was like, "Oh, Twilight's coming to an end." Thank God. I mean, uh, <laughs> oh no, no more money for us. Uh, what can we do? And it's like, what's really weird is that in that big grab all the YA you can eat, what what's going to throw it at the wall, see what sticks. The two that did actually stick long enough to get to the end properly, and not just in some ropey TV movie, were The Hunger Games about a bunch of children having to fight each other in a death arena, and The Maze Runner, which is, oh, wait a second... How is that Twilight about some girl choosing which monster to date and the two successful things that were ripping off that Mm. success from the same market are murder death arenas for young people. Other games, the first film, the first book is, I think, a pretty solid story. You know, it is basically a death arena with children and then the entire world is built around why you have a death arena with children in it and then you have the drama of uh, the young woman who survives that. The sequel born is, let's do that again, only the stakes are higher because this time everyone's been a winner of this contest before. So it's kind of bigger, higher. But after that, you basically have the rebellion. You basically have us trying to explore and conquer the world that made the death arena full of children. But the death arena full of children is what everyone was initially interested in, I think. It was the keystone and everything else after that is just an extrapolation thereof. Yeah, well, I, I love my teen death arenas. I love both franchises. Here's my controversial take. I think the Maze Runner trilogy is better because the second Maze Runner is not a retread of the first Maze Runner by any stretch of the imagination and the third one hasn't been eked out into two movies. I think the Maze Runner thing actually has some kind of twists and to build towards whereas I think Hunger Games really doesn't. Yeah, so there we go. So I mean that's, that's teen death arenas. It's occurring to me Obviously, Benedict Cumberbatch was in Star Trek, which we discussed earlier, and he was going to be sad, I think, in 2013. He was going to be sad because despite being in literally everything, he didn't get a, a, a starring role in any film in the top. Oh, wait, The Hobbit, Desolation of Small, yeah, he got to be yeah, a dragon. Yeah. So let's dispense with this as in exactly the way that a nine-hour treatment of a whatever it is, 300-page children book didn't and talk quickly about The Hobbit Desolation of Small, which took nearly a billion dollars at the box office. It's not Peter Jackson's fault. I mean, no. yes it is, but it's not at the same time. He kind of got handed a complete mess and made the best of it as he could. Uh, we can all sit here and nod and agree at going, The Hobbit should just have been two two-hour movies. If you want to scrape together the appendices to make a third movie, feel free. Uh, but The Hobbit, there's no way The Hobbit is supposed to be a, a drawn-out trilogy that, that includes so much ancillary material that ties into The Lord of the Rings. I mean, I mean, there's definitely a bit of hubris there, I think. I mean, having having been through the rigmarole of doing 
the, the the original rings trilogy and being throwing all that money and, and and having all that success and tension you know i think he just it just got carried away he just you know new lines like here have more money do that again just repeat repeat all of that success and that experience all over again and uh, he should have just said no actually what the fuck am i doing <laughs> well, i think he probably said that on a daily basis because it, it um, as far as you understand he didn't want to, he was happy to produce it but he didn't want to direct it he'd just done lord of the rings for like his last 10 years of his life so he was happy um, to move on yeah well, do well del toro was lined up to do a bit wasn't he and then he backed out didn't he uh, well back yeah because basically it was one of those things where so many people have their hands in the pie there's you have like nine different bosses all of which have a stake in this film it cannot fail that's why it just keeps going bigger and bigger. It becomes a monster dragging itself. So you go from a very simple form about some dwarves going on adventure with a hobbit friend to, to like having to tie it into Lord of the Rings and dragging it out and extending it all. And so he kind of leapt in just to kind of try the best he could to save the project, which basically sadly means he is a bit like the captain on the Titanic, assuming the captain of the Titanic was parachuted in just as the iceberg was coming over the horizon. I don't, yeah. I don't resent him for it. It's a shame that it happened. Oh well. It's just, it's just so with the stuff in it. I mean, I mean, the first one. What they they spend what ten minutes singing about doing the washing up or something quite early on. <laughs> Fair, that probably happens in the book. What? <laughs> I I remember him doing interviews and saying, "Look, right, I never dreamed as a massive Tolkien fan that anyone would ever pay the money." to just take all these footnotes and little bits and scraps and actually commit them in the fullest, roundest possible way they could to the cinema screen. But now that it is happening, I'm going to do it. And that's basically what it is. I think it was to The Hobbit's detriment, the actual book of the story of The Hobbit and its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think think that he would like to, possibly... Uh, or probably wouldn't like to at all after the amount of time that he spent doing this but I think that he would see the value in taking those films, editing them down and saying here's your real version and all that other stuff that's just for super fans you know, but obviously I think think there is a fan fan edit that does this by the way oh well yeah, (laughs) usually there is usually there is I mean, I mean, the the irony about I mean, going back to Cumberbatch again is the, the irony about the third piece of it is um, I actually think that, he, that the dragon is, is one of the best things about it. The, the rest of it is, is 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 pretty pretty so-so. And the battle and the battle of the, the five armies is like, what is going on? It's, it's literally like somebody's filming a games workshop tabletop. It's just like just <laughs> just dump a load of miniatures on the table and shove them about. And then oh, what worms are coming out of the ground now? It's like what is going on? It's it's like <laughs> there's, there's there's no it's like it's not a battle. There's there's no there's no cohesion. Now we need the, the, the fan edit where, uh, where during the battle, giant CG dice come bouncing across the battlefield. And it's especially annoying because because he didn't seem to learn anything from Return of the King, where the weak, with the weakest part about the whole holy reintroduction, in my opinion, is the battle scenes in Return of the King are are not rational, sensible battles at all. It's like just just line up and charge. It's like well, you're supposed to, where, where where's Supposed to be experienced soldiers and veterans, and and, and there should be you know, some sense of like it's an actual battle when it's not. Yeah. <laughs> the five armies is the same, but like ramped up to 110. Uh, so. oh, there we go. <laughs> um, my favourite thing about all of that is that ever since uh, they've run out of Tolkien, that they can sensibly 
turn into films and even learnt the lesson that if you try and take some of the Tolkien that sensibly shouldn't have been turned into a film and then did it anyway, yeah, and that and what happens when you do that, I you annoy everybody. The the eyes of Hollywood turned in the direction of the Narnia Chronicles and went, Hey, there's seven of these bad boys. Have you read them? Well, maybe half of the first one, but I'm sure they're all fine. And then they find what happens and you're like and, and now so many times is the projects of like that. There's seven of them. Surely this should be shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah, but have you seen how mental they are? So, yeah, so there we go. Um, right, we're going to d- discuss cartoons now, which does take in the number one entry because uh, Hobbit was there at number four. But we did have a, a fair few cartoons make it up there in, in 2013, those being Monsters University at number seven and Despicable Me 2 at number three. And the number one film of the year was Frozen. I believe I actually went to see Despicable Me 2 because uh, in all, part of the marketing for that movie was to put the original one on streaming service. So well, I watched this. It was quite funny. And I was like, OK. And uh, the wife likes Minions. So we went to see that uh, as adult human beings in 2013. We contributed to the $970 million that it took beating Benedict's Dragon into fourth place. Uh, other than that, I understood that Frozen was happening, but there was nobody in my life that really was that desperate to see Frozen. And Monsters U... I'm surprised, actually, that Monsters U made it into the top ten for the year, because most people agree that while entertaining enough, it's a bit pointless. The unasked-for prequel to Monsters. Yeah. We have a lot to say about these. I mean, I haven't really seen Frozen. I've just heard my nieces sing the song very badly for several years after the film was on. There uh, must so... be some measure of irony to having, like... Wait, wait, do you mean the Let It Go song? Yes. Yeah, so not the Do You Want to Build a Snowman song, because I'm imagining that's a hard sing in Australia. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, they all sing wonderfully in their own heads. One of like, even had Let It Go is like playing as a song to listen to whilst they're trying to sleep at night. Very odd, but definitely a cultural phenomenon of which we are completely the wrong gender to enjoy. Who can argue with Disney and their princesses and their big bang vault full of of Scrooge McDuck money, though, that this made them? (laughs) Yes. I I mean, what I was more saying is like, okay, so these are the films that, I mean, you know, these are the number one, number three and number seven. Okay, Monsters University at number seven. Fair enough, it got there. Well done. Have a rosette. But the fact that the number one and number three are these big cartoons, and like I've been to see one of them at the cinema, but not the other one. Um, I'm just wondering if anyone else at the table did. Because you had a baby boy, Theo. That's no, no. My baby boy wasn't born till 2016. (laughs) Even then, even then, he's not going to be not going to take him to see a Frozen three at any point, are you? Um, Well, it's difficult to tell because um, he's only just getting to the age where you would take him to the cinema. So that's very hard. But yeah, so the point is that it made a bunch of money. None of us were invited to the party. Me and Sue went to see Despicable Me 2 anyway. So there we go. That's what we've learned there. So now I guess we get onto the part, which I suppose I've given a large uh, proportion at the end of the show to, because we've got three superhero movies here this year. Uh, Now, uh, Iron Man 3 made a whisker less than Frozen. uh, So is it the number two? And then our other two superhero movies sneak in at the bottom. Man of Steel made uh, just, uh, well, 6.6 million. And uh, For the Dark World made 6.4 million. I guess the key point takeaway here is that For the Dark World was a whisker away from beating a Superman movie. 
Um, which just tells you everything you need to know about the Super Bowl movie. You say 6.4, you mean 640 million. Sorry, not 6.4, 64.4. So 66.8 and 64.4. Yes, sorry. Uh, but yes, mm. even so, quite close to the running. I'm sure that um, I'm sure that Warner Brothers are not happy that the uh, Thor fights the miserable elves movie uh, nearly. <laughs> yeah, the, the irony being the... that in over twenty movies, it's probably the worst of all the MCU movies, and it's still so close. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and what does this say about Man of Steel? Man of Steel, I did not go oh, see God. the cinema. Oh dear. <laughs> Okay, yeah, Batman is a moody bastard. That's all That's all totally fine, but Superman is kind of a paragon, and a paragon is hard to write. It's hard to write a good guy, a Jermaine character. He's really good at everything. But at the same time, he's an aspirational figure. He, he, he is a god amongst us, but in a good way. Uh, whereas in this one, he's just some miserable bastard. He seems to resent that he has to save, save people's lives. He, he almost feels like he begrudgingly becomes this kind of adored superhero at the end. I don't know why everyone does adore him because because of him and his species, like didn't the whole city get completely obliterated? Uh, I think yeah, I mean, somewhat somewhat sour him as the savior of the year. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean that was my biggest objection about the script was at the end the collateral damage was so extreme. It's like this, this is clearly not Superman that, that everybody would recognise. And I appreciate there's a bit of setup there as well for for what comes later with Batman you know, versus Superman, but. But it's just—it's just—it's just not that character. It's only—it's not—it's not Superman. And 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 there, right there, you've got the problem with 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 giving everything to Snyder. Snyder doesn't get it. So well, and Warner Warner's then should have been all oh, crikey. Oh, we should we should we should actually take it away from him and give him to somebody else who knows what he's doing. But instead, they give him another another bunch of films to completely screw up. Long. <laughs> a lot of time to get to the end of the fail. I mean, is it just me? I sort of came out of the Man of Steel and I just felt emotionally dirty. I mean, it's like you've got yeah. someone's dad going, yeah, you have to leave a whole bus full of children to die rather than expose yourself as being a super being who can save them. Yeah, it's just, it's just what? all wrong. The yeah. Kents were supposed to be these people who installed that small town people, good people, in giving this, adopting this child and giving him morals is what made him a good person. Yeah, of course, over the next few years, uh, we are going to see this full Zack Snyder saga. That, I mean, it's a double saga. Uh, the saga of, you know, in front of the screen and indeed inside the movies play out. Uh, and Man of Steel, um, I think, definitely sets the tone for that. Let's uh, leave that as it was. Uh, of course, our number two movie of the year uh, is the... Uh, I mean, like, Thor was just... I think a lot of people... Thor The Dark World is a very puzzling movie. Uh, again, a, a year of puzzlement uh, we have here. Because it's like, how, why, what? Iron Man 3 is actually straight up. Some people love it, some people hate it. We recently have had developments in the long term, you know, what happened to those folks, what was in Iron Man 3. We've recently had that. But at the time, people were just like, Either people thought it was just this bold move in superhero movies, or they thought it was terrible. Long term, I think Iron Man 3 is a success, and Thor The Dark World remains not a success. Uh, has anyone got a different opinion? I think we all agree that Thor The Dark World is a bit forgettable. I mean, I quite appreciated the fact the showdown was at the Greenwich Meridian. British, but other than that, yeah, it's it's strange how Thor Ragnarok really vitalised Thor as a, as a bit of a dumb goof. 
again, and he's adorable when he's a, when he's a dumb lout hero in, in a funny sort of way. I mean, Thor was always kind of a strange thing because the the thing that always puzzled me about the first Thor film it, it broke convention because what's the Earth is not at stake in the first Thor movie. What's at stake is that Loki is going to murder the perennial enemies of Asgard, the Ice Giants, to to prove something to his dad, and that's what Thor is fighting to save. I thought that was quite a brave, abstract thing to have as your stakes in a Disney Marvel movie. I thought, surely some executive would have piped up and said, uh, I don't think the audience is going to be able to relate to this. Uh, so we sort of sort of carried on in that vein, I think, in a funny sort of way. It's a film I watched once. I've never watched it again. I've watched it more than once. It's watchable, but it's just... Yeah, it's, it's, it is. Yeah, watchable is fair. Watchable is fair. Uh, I, I just feel a bit sorry for Chris Eccleston, actually, because he gets to play a bad guy role in which he said something like three words in like the entire film or something so he was only doing it for the money I assure <laughs> you. <laughs> like you can't see the gritted teeth because it's beneath the makeup but um uh, well this yeah. is that this is that um that, I, I mean i don't know unlike I mean, the uh really oh, really it's, it's loki it's loki's film really it's not thor's film um yeah um yeah, he gets much more interesting things to do than, than the actual titular character I like the fact that they sort of end on that cliffhanger that he has secretly seized power over Asgard and that hangs in the air for years and years and years. But when it yeah, comes yeah. back, it's just a complete side gag in Ragnarok. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess that's all you can do with that, really. And and the fact, I mean, the point is that um, what's well, really he had control of the entire Asgardian army and he's just laughing well, about exactly. And grapes. what he chose to do was sit on his bum, make watching plays about how great he is. I mean, to be fair, people talk about um, how the, the recent Loki series made Loki into a bit of a pussycat, but surely he was already a pussycat at the point where it's like, I have taken control of, like, as you say, the entirety of Asgard and all the great, you know, interstellar troops. And to be fair, that's enough power for me, so I'm just going to go have a sit down, all right? Well, Watch, he, he's what? a narcissist, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean um, also proven by, like, actually... Um, the only person he has feelings for is, is another version of himself. So, you know, what's more perfect than that? <laughs> <laughs> Loki's... The thing is, it's nice that I think that what Taika Waititi did, which was not... Which we will discuss in greater depth, is managed to separate out the fact... Like, when you have a film where Thor and Loki are supposed to be... Well, where Loki's supposed to be the villain and Thor's supposed to be the hero, Loki ends up upstaging Thor. But when you say, hey, we're going to take these two guys and they're now both their own type of protagonist. And as soon as you take Loki and say, well, he's going to be a protagonist now, you have to say, well, what, what's left for Thor to do? And that's what Ragnarok essentially puts forward is, you know, and that leads into all of the next stages of party Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy Thor and calling Rocket Return Rabbit or whatever it is. Well, what that... I'm really looking forward to is Love and Thunder. I mean, it's, uh, it's, oh, yeah, it's gonna be... absolutely. I, I can't predict what's going to be in it, but it's going to be bonkers, whatever it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that is one of the things. It's like uh, when when they announced Thor: Love and Thunder, I was like, when they started out with Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man, they went, one of these characters will get a fourth movie in their franchise, the others will not. Well, actually, no. Captain America now has a fourth franchise entry. It just happens to be a different Captain America. But Thor was the first one to make it to four, and I don't think anyone would have predicted that from the uh, offset, which is, is great. And, uh, of course, Iron Man 
as far as I can work out, it's getting a kind of side crawl because, uh, you know, due to the tragic circumstances surrounding the Black Panther sequel, they're bringing Ironheart into that. And so that's the continuation yep. of the Iron Man legacy, Is in which is kind of why, uh, across the board, What If has decided to mingle Iron Man and Wakanda early on just to soften us all up for that concept. How do we feel about the Iron Man trilogy? Is it can it be called a trilogy? Because it was it just like it's sort of an overall thing. It is the hardest trilogy. Uh, Marvel have uh, do have done this three times now with Thor, Captain America, Iron Man made trilogies that in the classic run of things. I mean, you could go to the shop and buy the Iron Man trilogy or the Captain America trilogy because they could just slice those box sets up any way you like uh, in Marvel. But if you watch them as a trilogy, will you end up confused? Probably not with yes, Iron Man. To, they're more like, they come together more like a zip, don't they? Rather than as other Well, Iron Man is the, the trilogy. This is, this is not, and also the Iron Man trilogy. This is the last Iron Man film, the film where he hangs up his Iron suit at the end and goes, I'm not doing any more of that anymore. Big promise. We're not even halfway through the films that Tony Stark is going to feature in, suit or not. <laughs> Yes, it is a conceptual thing. Like I said, I think that what we have to take away is I, I will continue to improve my own uh, armors, but I'm not going to try and work with the military anymore. Because like all of the first three movies, like I was a weapons maker, and now I decided I don't want to be quite so much of a weapons maker. And then the second one, he get like the government take him to court to try and force him to be a weapons maker, and that all goes wrong. And then in the third one, he is trying to uh, bring about world peace all by himself with a bunch of armors and it all goes awry and i think therefore conceptually at the end he goes you know i'm not doing any of that anymore i'm going to build my my armor in the manner of any middle-aged man who owns a shed i just happen to be a genius who builds super armor instead of someone who's like trying to take care of that wall down the bottom of the garden or you know one of those little gardening projects you know and that's basically what it is he goes from a man in the world trying to make a difference through his knowledge to a man in a shed tinkering away at armour for just in case, you know makes Ultron Ultron in his shed as well, is that it? yeah, yeah, well he gets a bit carried away Well, literally, he's a middle aged man and gets carried away at a party talking to some other guy who's you know on a similar level, they're really vibing and he goes, hey, you know what, we should go and build an artificial intelligence to enforce world peace and take all the hard decisions out of the hands of silly men who could do silly things and start silly wars. And his friend goes, well, I'm not quite sure. No, I've already built it. There it is. Look, I'm just going to switch it on. <laughs> it's all fine. It's got the voice of James Speeder. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> but this, of course, is before all that, when Iron Man had PTSD. And uh, I, I mean... I, I mean That's what I like about the third film, that the, is yeah. the, the first two are stories about Iron Man... But the third film is really a story about Tony Stark rather than Iron Man. You know, he's Iron Man obviously in it for, for a bit, but he's actually, he's, he's Tony. He's just Tony for a lot of it too. Yeah, and his, his mental state, you know, I guess, yeah, I've got, I've got quite a soft spot for the scripts in, in that film. Um, well, Shane Black generally is just, you know, quite like... I think it's one of those things that argues against uh, all Marvel movies are exactly alike. And it's like some of them are, are pretty similar because they need to be what they are but then yep. you get iron man 3 and thor ragnarok and it's like there's a little bit more you know 
like if you go in all the direction Guardians of the Galaxy the, you, if you go in all the directions that Marvel has pushed out then it starts to encompass a hell of a lot uh, but that was that was the top 10 of 2013 right there uh, well, and, uh, and one thing that we going through this 10 to 1 as we did in our rehearsal as I prefer to think of it <laughs> the, thing, the thing that popped out to us was oh my goodness we were wearing 3D glasses for pretty much all of these and then we sat back yes. and marvelled that this was such a big craze at the time yes indeed and one of the things that we mentioned later on is that they started taking old films retrofitting them into 3D including such classics as Jurassic Park Mortal Kombat Wizard of Oz and Top Gun, all of them retrofitted into 3D and given theatrical releases in 2013. Gosh, aren't we grateful that doesn't happen anymore. So everyone <laughs> said 3D was going to be a flash-in-the-pan gimmick. Came back. Were they right, gentlemen? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> totally, pretty um, much. I've never been a big fan of, of 3D and, and I've never consciously chosen to see a 3D over a 2D where there was the opportunity. Uh, I think my my only my only two enjoyable 3D cinema experiences actually the two that we mentioned at the beginning, so Avatar and Gravity. I think are the only two that, that I appreciated where it actually seemed to work okay. Um, a lot of other films um, that I've seen 3D just then just make my eyes go weird. It just they just they didn't look right. The perspective actually is just feels artificial. Do uh, are, you, are you then looking forward to the the, the much anticipated? various rounds of uh, Avatar sequels we had lined up. <laughs> Is anyone looking forward to those? I mean, they feel a How little bit like... How can you take like... so long to make those movies? It's like, there's literally been a whole new generation of children well, born well, since the first well, Avatar. Uh, what James Cameron probably hasn't told us is he's actually built the planet, you know, the other side of the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and he's actually been filming on location. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, if, if you want to tell us, oh, and this is why billionaires keep building rockets. They're all like, screw this. We're going to go and visit James on Pandora. Uh, so if you know uh, how we can get tickets to the uh, Pandora planet on the opposite side of the sun, Ian. Uh, oh, where might they go to tell us about that? Well, Leo, one place they could go would be our Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, so 80s. Please go there and like our page. It's our community hub. We put links to our podcast there, as well as links we find interesting. But podcasts are what it's all about. And for those who want to point your web browser towards, it's kids.blogspot.com. That's 80s as in letters. So E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S. Uh, please go there and where you can listen to a complete archive of every show we've ever done. Or you can download them to your PC for dark reasons of your own. Uh, but this is not all, is it, Leo? Uh, no, in fact, uh, I didn't want to put the skids on the uh, thing that you have worked so hard to, but our actual community hub. I recently discovered that um, at some point since we started the Facebook page back in 2013, uh, Facebook have changed their mind about whether pages are suitable places for community hubs. And I hadn't really noticed this, but they've gradually reduced the functionality Still, pages are just basically big billboards, which are no fun for anyone. So we have now started a Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash 80s kids. Because amazingly, that's not a group that exists. Well, it is now, but it wasn't when I took it. Um, so you can come and join the group. And that's where Facebook prefers communities to be. And who am I to argue? We can have polls and all sorts of stuff going on 
in there. Uh, so um, that is a thing that is actually happening you know, as we speak uh, and wasn't happening the first time we did this, as we say, in the dress rehearsal. So uh, it's good that we've had to do it just so that we can fit that in. Uh, yeah, uh, Leo, I've been doing the same spiel for 140 podcasts. If you're going to change it now, you've got to write it down on a big card and hold it up for me. Uh, well, yeah, no, I just thought this was the ideal opportunity to get that piece of information in because it only just happened and, and we can change it from now. So, yeah, groups, 80s kids. That's where it's happening now, 80s kids and indeed everyone else. Uh, but I, I can be found on the Internet uh, usually, um, well, actually doing Geek Towers, where this show will eventually end up on rotation forever. Uh, the radio station that I've uh, started as a hobby because this is the uh, 2020s when you can have an internet radio station as a fairly cost-effective hobby. It's crazy. So yes, and I sometimes am trying to get back to doing a little bit of streaming on twitch.tv forward slash Eno M. Coney. Uh, so that's where I could be found on the internet. I've talked to Mike before about where he can be found on the internet, but um, I think probably the more effective question to ask Mike is, Mike, you have you have uh, uh, designed board games, and some of those board games have won awards. Where can people? What are these board games called, and where can people purchase them? That's probably the question I want to ask. Yeah, I, I've had some success in in that, that regard. Um, yeah, um, uh, uh, Dice Hospital is available for Alley Cat Games. If you can buy it directly, if you go to their website, um, uh, the sequel uh, Dice Theme Park that I developed uh, is also should be out by the end of the year. Uh, also, my game Wagwa Dance, which uh, was a uh, People's Award winner at uh, UK Games Expo a few years ago, is getting a new print run with a new publisher called PSC, uh, which also should be out uh, later this year. So that's it. Uh, last time I, uh, we were, he was on the show, which was one of our roundtables, I said, "Where can we find you on the internet?" And you just said, "Well, on board game." I was like, "No, that's oh, probably the wrong I'm, answer." So I'm this a is profile on board game geek. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm also on LinkedIn, and people want to. Yeah, know, no, that's hit me up absolutely and talk about fine. Games. But what people want to know about is them <clears throat> sweet, sweet board games. Uh, also, full of um, dice and cubes. Also, I've started contributing to the the tabletop spirit online uh, hobby magazine as well, which is a nice. free PDF download. Um, I interviewed uh, Nigel Buckle for them for, for this issue and did a few uh, game reviews. So you can check that out as well. Wow! So we were all busy bees. Uh, he said, linking back to Wagodon. And that was and that was 2013, which I, I enjoyed uh, the second time, maybe or third time. I don't know. However, time works like that. It's like Groundhog Year, 2013 Groundhog Year. We keep going through it, seeing the same movies come up again and again. But we're going to be back uh, next time uh, with uh, a look at the rest of 2013, which again we once recorded and now have to do again. So we're going to have a very special episode for that one. Uh, but for now, I think it is time for us all uh, to disappear off into the mists. So we shall see you again. Farewell. Bye. Say goodbye to you, Mike. It's all right. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>